He is a preacher of the old school. But he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular. Though the world is his parish and he travels every part of the globe, he speaks in every language. He visits the poor, he calls on the rich, he preaches to people of every religion, and the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could, and bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. It was during the pandemic that I received a call from my troubled mother. She said that she had just called the paramedics, asking them to transport her to the hospital. She knew that there was something that wasn't right inside her body. I very quickly learned that I could not go into the hospital because they had locked it down due to COVID. And so we had to communicate by telephone. Of course, initially, she didn't have her hearing aid, and she didn't have her battery charger for her phone. And so some, for the first couple of days, we, I was relaying messages back and forth through the hospital staff. As the doctors examined and probed and tested, they said her major organs are starting to shut down. Okay, our agreement was that we would put her on hospice. That was the magic word that I needed to get into the hospital. And we quickly made arrangements for her to come and stay at our house for however long that might be. The day that she arrived, um, she had a, 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 a long um, uh, ambulance ride, and it was bumpy, and she was in a great deal of pain. And when she finally was in the gur- on the gurney in our living room, before they took her into the bedroom, she, you, could, you could tell that she was, she was all tense, her, 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 her face was grimaced, her eyes were closed, and she said, Am I at Rob's house yet? I was standing right beside her. I assured her, yes, Mom. You're safe, you're here. We're going to take care of you. She asked me that two more times. Her face still grimaced, her eyes still closed. Yes, Mom, you're here. We're going to take care of you. We'd contacted her her friends and family, none of which live in the state of Oregon, and they were to start arriving the next day. 
that afternoon, we, we reminisced about this and that, and she asked for all the latest details about the grandkids and the great-grands. And um, she, she, she had a couple of, of naps through the day. Finally, by, by late evening, it was probably around midnight, I, I just, I was dragging physically, and I excused myself, went across the hall to our bedroom, and, and laid down, went to sleep. Marianne woke me up a couple of hours later. She was gone. Gone. What? How could that be? She was only in our home for like uh, 14, 15 hours. Her friends, her family, none of them were able to say goodbye. It was as though she was, she was in a a traffic accident or something like that where her life was gone just like that isn't isn't that how death works it's it is such an intruder such a thief a robber the undesired unwelcomed visitor to our homes this morning we turn to a poignant piece of, of Jesus' life in uh, John chapter 11. We, we set the scene last week in our study. Jesus was away from Jerusalem, and his good friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, lived in a little village outside of, of Jerusalem, Lazarus was sick, and when Jesus heard about it, he intentionally lingered and did not go to Jerusalem. Our text this morning picks up, verse 17, with Jesus outside of the confines of the village and requests for, for uh, Martha to come and see him. Reading our text, John chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, speaking of Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, and Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, 
Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, (laughs) she got up quickly and she came coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with him, with her in the house, and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she had gone to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Jesus came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? I divided our text this morning into three sections. Concerning the activity there, consoling the living, comforting the believing, and caring for the believing. And there's... Those, uh, those activities center around three different individuals or groups, the crowd, Martha, and finally Mary. Verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he, that is, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Let me pause here for just a minute to say a couple of things um, in, um, as, as means of an introduction, con- context, if you will, of what was going on in the, um, in the village and specifically in Martha and Mary's home. In uh, the first century world and even today in the Near East, it is the habit to bury the dead on the day that they the Egyptian missionary that we support, the eldest of many children, when his father died, was not able to be there when they buried his father because he was unable to fly from Portland to Cairo, then take a six-hour train ride to his hometown up the Nile River. He couldn't make it there in a 24-hour period of time when they would bury him. They still do this. First century Jewish culture used to be, um, or prior to the first century, it was, um, burial customs were very extravagant, very ostentatious, but by the first century that calmed down dramatically so that a a, uh, deceased person's body was 
wrapped in a linen cloth, sometimes called a traveling dress, sometimes dressed um, or wrapped in uh, numbers of linen cloths, and uh, in between the, the layers packed with, with aromatic spices to, to mask the smell of death. On that day of death, the women were the ones to lead the procession to the gravesite, uh, believing, according to uh, the book of Genesis, that it was because of the woman's sin, Eve's sin, that death came into the world. William Barclay adds this comment to what's transpiring in the Jewish home at this time. Deep mourning, he writes, deep mourning lasted for seven days, of which the first three were days of weeping. During those seven days, it was forbidden to anoint oneself, to put on shoes, to engage in any kind of study or business, or even to wash. The week of deep mourning was followed by 30 days of lighter mourning. After the funeral procession and the burial, they would arrive back at the home where others would bring um, food in, and for days there would be this constant flood of people into a Jewish home. And those people were, by religious duty and, and a moral obligation, required to physically be present to express their grief, their sorrow, their condolences to the family who had lost a loved one. It would have been a frenetic time, a cacophonous time. Noise, people everywhere. Sleep would have been a, 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 a commodity that they wouldn't find readily available. It, it's into this situation that Jesus and his disciples are approaching Bethany, that village. And the text tells us in verse 17 that Lazarus had been dead for four days. That's significant. Jewish rabbis taught that the soul of a de deceased person lingered, hovered over the body for three days in hopeful anticipation that there would be some kind of revival and a reuniting of soul and body. Rabbis taught that on, on the fourth day, the soul would depart, the body would decay, and there would, would be no more hope. It's significant that Jesus was in the grave three days and not four. According to uh, David's writing, Psalm 16, verse 10, uh, he, he, he says there that, that God's Holy One, Messiah, would not see decay. Prophetically, David spoke that the Lord Jesus would not decay, and, and the, uh, according to the rabbis, even their rabbinic tradition, uh, Jesus was not in a state of decay. 
So here they are, outside of Bethany. Lazarus is in the tomb, and we read in verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Now, now we, John inserts that, that parenthetical expression for the sake of his Gentile readers who don't know Palestine. They don't, they don't know that Bethany is just on the other side of the Mount of, Mount of Olives. Um, verse 19 continues, and it says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Okay, so, so their town, the town of Bethany, is close by Jerusalem. And there are a number of people called the Jews, here in verse 19, that came to console Martha and Mary. Now I'm reading between the lines here, and uh, I, I may be reading too much. But John here identifies those coming from the city, presumably, as the Jews. Now previously when he had talked about the Jews, he's talking about those um, leaders in the, in the church, those who were specifically hostile to, toward Jesus. There's no evidence of these people being hostile, but it may have included those who were leaders in the church, uh, uh, leaders in the synagogue, leaders uh, among, the, uh, among the Jews. Which leads me to postulate the possibility that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' father was likely a prominent, well-connected, well-respected, and maybe a wealthy man. If that's the case, that would explain chapter 12, verse 3, which informs us that Mary took out a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet in preparation for his passion. Where did she get something so expensive? Maybe it is because she had money as um, uh, because of, of her father's business connections. Obviously, Her parents have passed, and these three adult siblings live together. All these people have come to console Martha and Mary at the loss of Lazarus. Point number two. Verse 20 reads, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Evidently, there was some kind of messenger, whether Jesus sent the messenger or there was an individual who was traveling with them, who volunteered. Um, We we don't know exactly how this messenger came to the the house of, of Martha and Mary, but they did so. Now, last week, uh, Based on verse 5, uh, I, I, I guessed that the birth order of these three siblings is Martha, Mary, Lazarus. So Martha would have been the eldest. She would have been the chief hostess. 
she would have been the, the, the matron of the house. So it makes perfect sense that a messenger would go to Martha and announce to her privately that Jesus was just outside the town and wanted to see her. Martha excused herself. And the first words out of her mouth, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha is not blaming Jesus. She's not giving him a tongue lashing. she's, She's not accusing him. She's... She's not challenging. Why weren't you here? She she is simply noting her faith. Her faith in Jesus. He could have healed her. But now it's the fourth day. Verse 22, the second words out of her mouth are connected to the her first statement in verse 21. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus, had you been here when Lazarus was sick, when he was critically ill, if, if, if you had been here to and prayed over him, I know, I am completely confident that God would have heard your prayer and answered your prayer and you would have healed him and and he'd be alive today. Jesus, we might put these words in her mouth. Jesus, I have seen you raise the dead. But, But you weren't here. And now it's the fourth day. Her faith in Jesus was immature. She understood that there was some kind, or she thought that there was some kind of limitation on Jesus. By distance, certainly in the fact that it had been four days. And the rabbis taught that there is no hope from the fourth day forward. The soul is gone, and the body is rotting, and there is no hope. This woman is in anguish. She is in deep grief. She is defeated because there is nothing, nothing that even Jesus could do in her thinking at this time. Jesus responds to her, verse 23. Your brother will rise again. I wonder if Martha is thinking in her mind, ah, I, I, know, I know you have to say something. Um, you, everybody feels obligated to, to say something at a time like this. Nobody really knows what to say at a funeral. I I get it. You you want 
to encourage me. You want to give me comfort. I, 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 I accept that. I wonder if she was thinking like that. She says in the next verse, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, we know this. Martha went to Sunday school class and listened because the Old Testament clearly tells us about a resurrection on the last day. I direct your attention to uh, the book of Job. Job chapter 19. Now, the book of Job may be the oldest book in the Old Testament. So, so we go way back. This is, this is patriarch days. And in uh, chapter 19, verse 25, he says this, Job says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my flesh is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job is, is realizing that he is going to see God even on the other side of death. At this point, he's wishing for death because of all of the terrible or horrible, no good, very bad things that have happened in his life. But on the other side of, of, of death, he knows that from his physical being, he's going to see his Redeemer. And he says, my heart faints within me. I, I, can't, even, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around this, this truth that there is coming a, a resurrection after death where I will physically see the living God. Oh. Martha paid attention in Sunday school class. She learned the lesson. Yes, there is a resurrection. And she affirmed that. As a matter of fact, she may have even heard some of the words that Jesus previously said in, in John chapter 25, uh, John chapter 5, verse 25. We read of Jesus. I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Every single person who has ever been alive, even if they die in the womb, they will be resurrected. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who hear in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Wow. But here in John 11, 
verse 23, when Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Uh, Jesus is not just pointing to some distant future event. Listen to the words of commentator Leon Morris. He says, Jesus is bringing Martha a present power, not the promise of a future. Um, Jesus is bringing Martha a present power, not the promise of a future good. He's saying there's something here, something now that I am going to bring. Second page of your notes. And what, we, what, we, what Jesus brings is what we read in verse 25. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if you've been with us through our study in John's Gospel a number of times, John has used a particular Greek phrase, um, translated, I am, that points back to the name God gave to Moses when he was to stand before Pharaoh. He was to tell Pharaoh, he was to tell the people of Israel, I am, makes this demand upon you. I am is going to provide for you and take care of you as you flee Egypt. And Jesus claims that name a number of times through John's Gospel. Seven times does this phrase, I am, um, come with a predicate. That is, uh, Jesus says uh, something about himself as the I am. In chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In, also in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Here, I am saying number 5 in chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. There is no resurrection without Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. You take Jesus out of the picture and all you have left is an unconquerable victor named death. Now Jesus expands on this and he explains a little bit of what he means by saying I am the resurrection I am the life the, the two ideas are very closely tied together but they can be distinguished one from the other look at verse 25 middle of that verse Jesus says he who believes in me will live even if he dies Now, the fact of the matter is, unless the Lord returns uh, physically, bodily, uh, at his second advent, all of us in this room will die. Different times, we will all die. But when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's saying, for those who believe in me, these will be resurrected unto life, a living life. Oh, there are others who will 
be resurrected, but uh, unto a living death. We read this in the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life. But the others, they too will be resurrected. The others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who believe in Jesus as the resurrection and life, these will be raised to a living life, even if they die. Secondly, he says in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Here, Jesus is pointing to to, um, um, a a quality of living. Eternal living is not a quantity of life, but it is a quality of life. For those who believe in him, those who have been spiritually resurrected, even from the point of their conversion, their life is changed and is transformed. There is an an existential embrace of living with the power and the presence and the person of God. There, There is an existential embrace while we are still alive physically on earth, prior to our death, there, there, is, there is an existential embrace of God's forgiveness, God's restoration. And there is this enablement, empowerment, and expectation that we take that which we have been given and give it to others there is a different quality of life given to those who believe. They are allowed, they are given the privilege of experiencing God's forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His patience. And so transforming is that, that they are able to then extend that, show that, display that to other people around them. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's thinking spiritually right now. And that, that, that quality of eternal living begins now. My life has changed. And other people will see it. Then when we get to verse 27, we have this this, um, this wonderful, oh, oh, I have to finish verse 26. Je- Jesus asks her the question, do you believe this? What a great question. Do you believe that Jesus not only has the power to conquer death and do so for everyone, but do you at the same time believe that he gives a living life to those who believe in him and changes their life 
even their quality of life so that they live according to the scriptures. They live in such a way that they please God and honor God. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the one who gives these good gifts even now. Now we know what, what Jesus has in store because we've read the, rest, the, the end of the story. We know that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That was the farthest thing from Martha's mind. Because in her mind, it was sealed. There was no more hope. It's been four days. That's what the rabbis taught. And Jesus said, asked her, do you believe this? This is what she said, verse 27. A, a, a great um, uh, testimony, affirmation of her faith in Christ. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Perfect tense, I have believed. I did so in the past, I do so now. I, I stand here. This is where I am. I'm, I'm camping right here. I'm staying right here. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed of God. You, further, you are the Son of God. You are the very expression of the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. To hear Jesus is to hear the Father. You are He who comes into the world. The one promised from ages past to be the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior of the world. You are all of this. This is an exceptional confession of faith. And this woman's faith is right now before her eyes expanding to include far more knowledge, understanding, appreciation for who Jesus is. He's not limited in his ability. He's not limited by distance. He's not limited by, by death being more powerful than he. Point number three. Focus on Mary. Verse 28. When Martha had said this, she went away. She called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. She whispered it. She wanted her sister to have the same kind of time with Jesus that she just enjoyed. You remember when, when we first meet Martha and Mary, Martha's the busy one. She's the, she's, the, she's the firstborn in the family. She's the driven one. She's the one that's got to take care of everything. Mary's the relational one. She's the one that sits at the feet of Jesus, just enjoying his presence, listening, taking it all in. Martha's the one that's that's, that's barking at Jesus saying, make her help me. She's just sitting down and doing nothing. and I, I, I'm frustrated. Well, it's this 
<laughs> this older sister watching out for her baby sister. She said, Jesus wants some time with you. Verse 29 tells us that when Mary heard it, she got up quickly. A, a little too quickly. A little too noisily. Because everybody in the house recognized something just happened. Martha is communicating something to Mary and, and Mary is overcome with something and she gets up quickly, hurriedly, walks out of the house and everybody assumes, oh, she's going to the tomb. Martha said something to her that upset her or uh, there's, there's maybe somebody that has come to the tomb and is waiting to weep with her and so they all follow. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Ah, uh, Martha's plan <laughs> was thwarted. But not God's. God wanted this to happen. He ordained this exact set of circumstances to occur. He wanted all of these well-wishers, all of these friends and family, all of these other mourners to come with Mary to the tomb so they could be eyewitnesses. something that Jesus was about to do. Well, verse 32 picks up with, with Mary finding Jesus. She didn't go directly to the tomb like people in the house thought. She went and found Jesus, exactly where Martha said he would, uh, he would be. And when she came to where Jesus was, verse 32 reads, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same exact words as her sisters. And she too is filled with grief, with anguish, and with defeat. Because they knew that the rabbis taught them. It, it, it had been four days. There was no hope. There was nothing anybody could do. Oh, her faith needed to stretch as well. Verse 33, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 reads, very simply, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. But oh, it is so long 
and compassion and empathy. Jesus entered into the pain and the grief of these people. Our Savior is not some removed, distant, only transcendent being. He is very intimately concerned about our smallest concerns, things that are weighing heavily on our hearts. But there's a problem here that we have to deal with. And we find that problem in verse 33. Let me read the New American Standard text. I'm looking at the, um, uh, the, uh, a particular verb in the middle of this verse. Let me just read the middle of the verse. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Deeply moved. If you have the NIV text or Revised Standard Version, or uh, English Standard Version. Uh, they all read the same. He was deeply moved. If you have King James or New King James, it reads, he, 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 uh, he, he was not deeply moved. He, he groaned in the spirit. Interestingly, of those translations that were close to my fingertips at the time I was researching this particular verb. The New Living Translation was uh, markedly different and astonishingly much closer to the original reading in the Greek text. And it reads this way. Jesus was deeply, or, or I'm sorry, deep anger welled up within him. Deeply moved. Um, groaned. Or deep anger welled up within him. Well, literally, uh, the verb translated deeply moved denotes the snorting of a horse. Obviously, we are not talking about a literal usage here. We're talking about a figurative usage. Um, uh, uh, why, why, does a, why does a horse snort? Well, I'm not, uh, I'm not you know, I'm not a, a vet or anything close to an animal person to be able to answer that question uh, authoritatively. Um, but, but there is... Um, a, the connotation in this verb of anger, of indignation. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament of one being sternly charged. There is an, an intense emotion that is packed into this word, but it's not empathy. And it's not compassion. Was Jesus compassionate and empathetic? Absolutely. But what this verb tells us is that Jesus was incensed, indignant, outraged 
at something. What was it? We're not told. We're simply told that there is this this visceral reaction to Jesus as he's watching what's going on. What's going on? He's watching the weeping, the wailing that's taking place among the sisters and the people that were coming to the house to pay their respects. I wonder if Jesus' visceral anger, indignation, outrage was related to sin. Was he outraged because sin brings not only death, but the pain and the anguish and the uncertainty and and uh, the insecurity that all these people were experiencing? Or, or is it possible that Jesus responded as intensely as he did, deeply moved? Because those coming to pay their respects to Martha and Mary were grieving like pagans without hope. He said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection apart from Jesus. There is no life apart from Jesus. Is that what he was pointing to? Their hard-heartedness. Verse 36. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Ah, there's perplexity, there's confusion over the, the person and the work of Christ. But we know this. Jesus is the one who conquers death. He's the victor. Death is not the victor. One of the dear men in my life from afar, R.C. Sproul, died December 14th, 2017. He wrote this, published in Table Talk magazine, uh, just a few years before he died. Listen. When we close our eyes in death, we do not cease to be alive. Rather, we experience a continuation of personal consciousness. No person is more conscious, more aware, more alert than when he passes through the veil from this world into the next. Far from falling asleep, we are awakened to glory in all of its significance. For the believer, death does not have the last word. Death has surrendered to the conquering power of the one who was resurrected as the firstborn of many brethren. In December of 2017, R.C. took that step into the next world. Our Savior 
came from that next world. And just before he stepped again into that next world, he spoke words of power and authority. You've already read them this morning. I wonder if Jesus were to return today if he would say the same kind of things that he did outside the village of Bethany. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Indeed, do you believe this? Our Lord God Almighty, you have privileged us with the rest of the story. We know not only the end of this particular account with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but but we know what happens to Jesus. We know of his death. We know of his living, even now. And we know of his promise that all who believe in him will live and never experience a separation from the Father. Father, these, are, these, these words are... are are balm to our soul. And we thank you for preserving them for us that we might glory in the person and the work of Christ. It is in his name and for his glory that we pray all this and give you thanks.